Welcome back to another edition of It's Raining Mets. Ed Russo here. It's meteorologist Tom Russell here. And ironically, as we do this podcast, it is raining. It is raining. It's not raining Mets. It's raining (laughs) droplets. It's raining Uh, rain. Ed, Steve, and Tom are not falling out of the sky. (laughs) Which might be kind of fun. Uh, Yeah, it might be kind of fun. Hey, guess what? Oh, uh, do you you know what episode this is? What? What number? No. I don't know either, but I'm sure. (laughs) You got me so fired up there. (laughs) It just seems like, you know, it might be into the hundred somewhere. (laughs) Well, I know Steve keeps better track of that than we do. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's always great to catch up with you. Let's talk about fall. I mean, we're halfway through October now, and it, to me, it's been beautiful. September was just knock your socks off gorgeous, and I don't think people realized how nice it was. We didn't have much severe weather. We had just enough rain to make it interesting, but we had those beautiful warm days, uh, yeah, cool nights. Now, October has been a little bit more suspect. We had that awful start to October with the rain. Uh, and, and let me just share this story. Ed, I was, uh, I went to Penn State. Remember uh, the, what was left over of Ian was coming up. And yeah. as you know, I, I was convinced that the storm was going to kind of split. Uh, the low was going to go to like West Virginia. The moisture was going to go to our east and we were going to be okay. So I really doubled down on that forecast. Um, and then I got invited to go to the uh, Penn State game where it was great for the tailgate. 10 to 1, maybe 2 o'clock. I'm like all proud of myself. I'm golden. And then two o'clock, here come the rain showers. And they did not stop. It was such a soggy weekend. And in particular, it was cold too. If you remember, we barely reached 50. Mm -hmm. Um, So up at State College and sitting in the stadium, it's raining, it's cold. I mean, I was drenched to the bone and I felt like an idiot. You felt like you were a bad meteorologist. Well, I, you know, I was so confident that that was going to happen. And then when you get up there, you know, you go up early for the tailgate and, and everybody's asking you, what's the weather? What's the weather? And you're like, no, we're good. We're good. And, you know, for three or four hours, we were good. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you were good until you weren't. Until you weren't. And that's the that's the humbling part of what we do. Right? It is. It is. That was that was a that was a crazy storm, though. I mean, just just it just lingered and lingered. Yeah. Yeah, for five days for us. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the October cold here. So what I see is for the second half of the month, two shots of cold. But let me preface that by saying in between could be pretty darn nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we get these, you know, and that, that's normally how it happens. It's a little bit like a pendulum pattern. You know, mm-hmm. you get this, you Big swing shooter. back and forth between warm and cold. But these two cold shots, Tom, at least to us, look like they're going to be pretty significant for October. They really do. So we're talking about Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, We're talking about, uh, you know, highs barely in the low 50s, overnight lows, mid 30s. And Ed, your bold prediction is? Highs in the 40s. (laughs) I thought you were going to talk about snowflakes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I do think we'll see the first flakes of the season in the northern part of the state. All right, let's use that caveat, the northern part of the state. The northern so, part of the state. Not uh, the northern part of the viewing area, the northern part of the state. So I-80 and northward, where are you thinking? I'm like thinking like the, the Endless Mountains up towards like Galton, you know, McKean, Potter. Potter County, okay. Warren County, Lake Effect Country, not Lake Erie. Lake Erie, they, they, 
Like if you're down along, if you've ever been to Erie, I know I talk about Erie all the time, but yeah, you're a big fan of Erie. Yeah. Presque Isle State Park, right on the water, right. like rain, but you go inland and up in elevation, especially towards Eastern Erie County, like the town of Cory, Waterford, okay. Edinburgh, that they could get flakes. Wow. So no accumulation, but first snowflakes of the season. Yeah, I think I think northern parts of the state are going to get it. Certainly New York, but yeah, definitely state of New York. Definitely northern Pennsylvania, I think so. That is pretty cold. So that is uh, our first hit of cold. That comes, what is the date on Tuesday? So Tuesday's the uh, 18th, 19th. So the middle part of the week looks really cold. Then we rebound, and then there's another shot of cold right as we get toward the end of the month. And uh, it just seems to get progressively colder, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. So we're looking, I think the second half of October is really going to, I mean, it's, it's been, we've had cool days in, in October, but I definitely think the second half of the month is going to, in some cases, feel like mid to late November. Yeah. Like a little bit ahead of itself. So that yeah. leads us into, um, you know, you and I were kind of talking about a quick start to the cold this winter, but when it gets this, you know, starts this early, that usually means uh, a mild, you know, rebound, right? Yeah, and and usually when you get cold, especially in October and November, that some that usually leads to a a milder December. And which, yeah, that would not surprise me uh, at this point. So just looking at things, if we had to play it out, uh, kind of uh, off the cuff here, so we get these two shots of cold, but then even by like. Halloween, it could be warm again, right? We're kind of just past those two shots of cold. Yeah, yeah. And then I think I, I think the pattern kind of locks and reloads, and then we okay. see another cool batch in November. Right. But I, I think I think December could be quite. I don't want to say blowtorched, but maybe maybe we'll. But well, you know, if history tells us anything, like you said, if we have a, a cold October into November then the, the, it goes back to that pendulum swing that you referred to. Uh, it would seem that December would be on the mild side. That doesn't mean it's warm, but comparative to where we were in October and November, I think we're ended up with a, with a mild December, which everybody hates because that's when everybody wants it cold when, <laughs> when you're talking Christmas time and whatnot, right? I know, I know. But just based on previous years and how El Nino winters seem to go, because it looks like this is the third year in a row where we're dealing with the La Nina. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't bode well for, for snow around Christmas or cold. Yeah. It can happen. Yeah. It can happen, but um, one bank on it, really. At least All right, so we know we're going to get off to a, a colder start here over the uh, coming weeks. Let's uh, switch gears to tropics. We had uh, Tropical Storm Carl in the uh, southern Gulf of Mexico after Ian. So, you know, we're really getting to the end of hurricane season. We, we get storms, but they're usually not uh, likely after, you know, this point in the season, later October into November. So what, what's your take here? We're done? I think we still get a couple ones that form, you know, in the uh, kind of the, the Caribbean. I think we could see a, maybe a couple more weak storms form. But I, I mean, after Carl, it looks like for at least the next two weeks, tropics look completely quiet. So tropical season, hurricane season goes all the way to November 30th. Right. So, you know, formation would not be unusual, but uh, the chances of something really getting strong and really becoming a factor are pretty slim as the season goes on. Right? Yeah. And, you know, remember, you know, the, the deeper into fall we get, the stronger cold fronts we get that 
go far further south. Right. When you get those cold fronts that go further south, you get more wind wind shear that presses into the Atlantic. That either the fronts push the storm away from land, which is good, mm -hmm. or there's increased shear in the environment, which helps rip the storms apart, which prevents it from getting really organized. So yeah. Um, yes. So definitely winding down, but may, maybe not finished is how we would say. Maybe not finished, but certainly wouldn't think we would see anything major again. I mean, major hurricanes in October, um, you know, usually you get them in August and September, not October. We've certainly had, you know, Sandy, which wasn't a major hurricane, but it was a major storm. And that was an October one, right? That was October. I think that was October 29th. Uh, I, you know, though, there was a big storm here. Uh, Hazel, 1954. 54, yep. Uh, buddy, uh, Joe Bustardi references that one a lot. 54. Yeah, and the, the interesting thing about that is it made landfall in South Carolina, and 12 hours later, the storm was in New York. So that thing was moving <laughs> north. Yeah, wow. it moved north so fast that we had hurricane-force winds here in central PA. Wow, wow. We had legit, like, if that were to happen today, if something like Hazel were to happen today, we would have probably had inland hurricane warnings or inland tropical storm. Yeah, because you know they're trying to expand those inland so folks are ready and folks are prepared for uh, yeah. the possibility of flooding. There was an interesting story that you uh, alerted to my attention. There's a young man who's a meteorology student in Millersville, and with all this talk after Ian that uh, hurricanes are worse than ever, he had an article that that he wrote. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it was basically an article uh, suggesting that there is no evidence that Ian is, um, a, a, there's no direct link between Ian and and basically man-made climate change, global warming or, global warming. or an, anthropogenic forcing, which is warming due to man. Um, and he brought up, and you know, this is a guy in college. Yeah, he's sharp. So, His name is Chris, right? Wrote, you know, this this was longer than a PhD dissertation. So <laughs> you really have to, um, you really have to give props to somebody that that's, that, that is that motivated to write something that, you know, I've looked at, it looks incredibly thorough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he brings up some really compelling arguments about, um, about that, about that very subject, you know, you, it it it's a, does a great justice to the argument that you can't link any single weather event to climate change. And, and that's all we heard after Ian. It was like before the storm was even done. Uh, that's what you were hearing. And I'm like, can we get back to the the forecasting part and uh, you know what matters at that time? Because it's so frustrating how everything quickly gets politicized. It's just so. You know, I'll say this and. Maybe it's it's controversial, whatever, but it's I believe I'm not wrong. And I, I think it's incredibly important to understand the kind of disservice that some of the media was doing with Ian. Yeah, I totally Especially agree. With respect to uh, I, I won't name names, but um, CNN, for instance, had a whole slew of interviews ahead of the storm and a couple of their talent had the National Hurricane Center director at their disposal to ask right, right, right when the storm's coming in. Right when the storm's coming. What yep. is the biggest threat when a hurricane is approaching Florida? It's not climate change. I don't care what your opinion on climate change is. It's not climate change. So stop talking about it. They, these, these people were asking the National Hurricane Center director what climate change has to do with Ian 
not asking about storm surge, which was not only a deadly threat, it was the imminent threat at the time. Right. So you're preventing the National Hurricane Center director from giving people advice that might save their lives. And instead, you're talking about something that's much more long term that isn't imminent. You and I aren't going to die from climate change tomorrow. No right. one is. But okay? for me, that was a different story. Right. And it, 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 its catastrophic nature was the storm surge. And these people had an opportunity to ask what it was, why it was so significant with this storm. And instead, they the, the, re, the reason that they went there was to, to create talk, to engage in talking point politics. That's all it right. was. Yeah, and so it wasn't helpful. And, and so much of our industry, so many professionals on our side were doing the same. And you're like, you know, there's a time to discuss, you know, theories and theoretical stuff, but not when something's bearing down and you're talking about passing along life-saving information. And there's just this un, unsatiable need to, to turn it into political, even at the worst time. Right, and, and here's another example of people don't quite get what I'm coming at because- Obviously, we don't get huge hurricanes like that here in central PA. We get the effects of them. But it's like me going on the air, tracking mm -hmm. a tornado, heading towards Harrisburg, and talking about how climate change is making this tornado worse. Instead of telling people to get down in their basement, go to an interior room, right. show where the tornado is on radar, I start talking about some other threat that is much more long term, rather than talking about the imminent threat at the time, which is the tornado. And that's our duty to save life. That's our duty. That's and you have to talk about threats in order from greatest to least. And, and honestly, television, that's where our most power is in real time when people are uh, under duress and, and giving them the life-saving information on how to keep yourself safe, what to do next. Uh, you can't be sitting there, you know, hyping, uh, you know, hypothetical arguments that, like you said, may affect folks down the road, but they're not affecting us right, right now. Right. You have to talk about the imminent threat and the imminent threat in severe weather and landfalling hurricanes is not climate change. It's the threat that's being caused by the very weather disturbance that's happening now, which is storm surge, a tornado here would be a tornado tracking towards a populated area like Harrisburg. That's right. an imminent threat. You need to Definitely. tell people what to do. And that should be the focus. That should be no absolutely be the focus. So. Well, Ian was uh, definitely uh, one for the ages, that's for sure. Um, the other part is so many people now live there and we're in harm's way that, you know, we're seeing devastation on a larger scale because so many people are literally living in harm's way where yeah. they were before, you know? You know, and you know, another great argument that um, the student from Millersville brought up, he, he brought up the fact that, you know, there, there is debate, you know, within the scientific community on how to categorize the intensity of storms, whether it be by max sustained wind speed, which a lot of people are thinking, you know, is that, should that really be a true measure for a hurricane's power? Because you could have, you know, category four, Charlie, which was a very strong hurricane that hit roughly the same area in Florida right. back in 2004, mm -hmm but its wind field was so compact that its storm surge was kept in check. Yep. And if you have a much weaker storm in terms of max sustained winds, but it's much larger, your surge is gonna be much worse. So ma maximum sustained winds, which are obviously category five, category four, category three are determined right. solely by wind speed. Which is basically that, the eye wall, by the way. Yeah, which is right around the eye wall. 
is that really even a good measure of of the intensity of a storm when you're talking about impacts impact yeah well most of most of the weather community has moved on to impact scales and that's one of the reasons they brought in the storm surge warnings in in addition to you know just the cone that we're used to seeing but uh, joe bastardi brought this up too that maybe the Saffir Simpson scale, which you know spanned about forty years now, is a little outdated. So, how would you add? How would you factor in not just the wind, but the storm surge and everything? So, you know, maybe it's a one to one hundred kind of uh, scale. I mean, do you have any ideas of how we do that? Yeah, you know, I, I think honestly, pressure, uh, barometric pressure, can be a much bigger. Um, yeah, but can people understand that? I don't know if that translates. They well. can't understand it, but w- when we're talking about you know minimum central pressure, that is a a big tool that gives us the total energy of the storm. Yeah, I mean we definitely use it as meteorologists, but you have to have some kind of maybe a color coded scale or something that would translate, you know, to the average person, right. right? Or size of the storm. You know, you're talking about the size of the storm, and and a bigger storm is going to produce more storm surge. And when it comes to tropical storms and hurricanes, the storm surge is the number one killer. So if you have a category, I mean, look at Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy was massive. Mm-hmm. And it was what? Barely a category one when it made landfall in New Jersey. Right. And look at the surge that occurred along the New Jersey coastline. New York City, yeah. New York City, because the storm was simply so massive. You had so much wind f- flowing over so much water that when you look at the impact in terms of damage, that was worse than a smaller compact category four storm making landfall in Florida. Right. So you have to factor that into it. You can't just go off maximum sustained, max sustained wind. So. Yeah, I think this will be the challenge for the weather enterprise moving forward. What, what's the new updated Saffir Simpson scale? Does it get a new name? How do we uh, embrace all those different impacts? And the other part of it that we're not mentioning is population is it hitting a place that's densely popular absolutely is it hitting a place that you know just the seals live or the fish live right absolutely and you know the big thing that people use to compare our hurricanes stronger they do it simply by category so that's going to throw all these comparative statistics out the window and when you actually look at it that way you can actually see that there were many, many, many powerful storms that happened prior to 1960. And if you're talking in terms of the amount of powerful hurricanes that have been hitting Florida over the last 50 years, they've actually come down. Right. We've actually decreased. We've actually seen a decrease. So, you know, people like to engage in this, you know, argument about, you know, this debate, but I mean, it's not like it's just this simple black or white issue it's it's very uh complex there's there's a lot of statistics involved and you you really got to know them backwards and forwards to really you know kind of yeah debate it so i I think that's going to be the challenge moving forward and it's so hard now to keep politics out of it where you can have a true scientific debate uh and move on i mean just look how long it's taken us to get a storm surge forecast that's something that you know, I remember in the talking stages 15 years ago, and we're just now in the experimental stage of uh, the Hurricane Center using it and us displaying it on TV and, and those kind of things. So right. it, it takes a while, but I think this is going to be one of those storms that is the catalyst to a new impact scale, whatever yeah. that looks like. You know? I know it's, it's interesting to see what it takes to 
energize new conversation. I mean, I even I even have problems with, well, I, I think the National Hurricane Center cone is a useful tool, but I just, I don't think, I think the public has a lot of trouble understanding it because you know how the cone gets wider with time? Sure. So when when the center of the storm was very close to Fort Myers, Fort Myers was technically outside of the cone. Right, that was one of the but, arguments against it, yeah. The but they were, they, they, and, and you know, there were people in Florida that thought, you know, meteorologists got the forecast wrong because they weren't in the cone anymore. Right. The cone is just the eye. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just tracks the center of the storm. And if you're just to the right of the cone, right next to where the storm is positioned, you're in the worst part of the storm, but you're outside of the cone. So, right. you, you know, I, so maybe we need to start with the cone since people are familiar with it. And that's what we expand a little bit, you know, yeah. maybe we build off of that somehow. Or, or yeah, or, or maybe kind of just, there's gotta be a way to show that there's a threat outside of the cone. Cause I think that's where people kind of just get lost. Yeah. Um, I, I think it has, you know, I, I think we all should take fault for it. The messaging. I think we've all failed. Mm -hmm. Obviously with the messaging, you know, I'm not blaming other, I'm taking blame in this too. You know, I think the meteorological right. community as a whole has failed in, in messaging in, in, in some regard. Um, I'm not saying everything's failed, but in this particular um, aspect, I think there's been some level of failure because just so yeah. many people just do not understand what the cone is and what it is not. Yeah, and you know, when they were called to evacuate, uh, you know, the other thing is the passage of time. We hadn't had a storm hit there uh, in, in such a long time. So many new people moved to Florida that the uh, you know, oh, okay, we'll just ride it out. We'll do our thing. And I think that's one of the harsh lessons learned, especially for those right along the beach, those who experienced that storm surge firsthand. So right. I think it's something we can build on. And I think there's going to be some positive things that come out of this situation. Yeah. I mean, one can only hope. And, yeah. and that's what I hope for too. So, well, you are passionate, my friend. I always like to hear your passion on our podcast. So uh, always check us out when you can. We're at uh, It's Raining Mets on our CBS 21 dot com website or wherever you find podcasts and ed it's been a pleasure we'll see you at cbs 21 all right thanks tom great great catching up with you you're listening to it's raining mets